Coming up next. Is there a friendly rivalry with police officers? <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there's a, you know, I would call it a sibling rivalry, maybe. Yeah, definitely. That's where there is. It's really healthy. You know, the police and EMS, um, there's a mutual respect, but there's also uh, there's a lot of chirping going on between the, the three services. It's fun. Let's put it that way. It's, it's a lot of fun. The Job Talk podcast shares stories from people who are passionate and love what they do in their careers. Through conversation, we explore their careers, past work experiences, and the education that got them to where they are now. We are putting together a Career Crisis Ultimate interview series. We are asking experts to give their best advice and guidance around work anxiety, career pressures, career goal setting, and ultimately career transformation. To learn more about this special interview series and get notified when it's available, please visit our webpage at thejobtalk.com slash help. Today's guest is Kevin Royal. Here's our job talk with a firefighter. Kevin, you becoming a firefighter, did that fulfill a childhood dream? Nope. <laughs> no, it was, firefighting was one of those, it was, I was actually on a completely different career path. Um, blew all my money on a different education and, uh, you know, just life changes. You know, I, I started a family and realized that the path I was going down wasn't necessarily conducive to starting family. So I started looking around and then I met guys that were on the department and I had friends that were going through the process and I actually had a boxing coach who had always told me, Hey, you need to look at this as a career. And once I made that decision to start a family and look at a different career path, it was a pretty easy choice just based on what I had wanted to do, you know, serving communities and just being, doing something that I felt was, uh, I guess, worthy. Yeah. What career path were you looking at when you were trying to decide? I was involved in uh, restaurant and hotel management, and I was in the process of starting my own place. And then I realized, you know what? This probably isn't the best, best way to, best, best occupation for wanting to have a family too. Yeah. What was your boxing career like? How did, how did you do? I was, you know, I boxed for like 14 years. I was like from just a young guy all the way up into my early in my late twenties, it was it was good. I boxed for uh, Promise of Alberta and did some, had some international competitions. I I never went pro. I never had the desire to go pro. I just liked the competition, so I was able to travel travel around a lot of places. And it actually moved into MMA a bit too. So I moved into like a, an MMA coaching and uh, as an agent as well. I worked. So. Oh wow. Okay. So how old were you when you decided to pursue firefighting and apply for that? I was 28 when I decided that I was going to make the jump into try to, to, to try to get to the fire service. 28 years old. Do you think that's about the median age or is that older for people getting into firefighting? No, not really. Um, you know, there's some guys that, you know, have that childhood dream. They start, start at it right out of, out of high school. I think, uh, most departments look to look for some life experience and some, you know, you have to build up your prerequisites for whatever department you're trying to join. I think there's, there's guys as young as 21, you know, even younger. Um, and then there's, there's guys that uh, we have some recent recruits that are in their forties right now that are just getting onto the, onto the floor. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the process of becoming a firefighter. Mm -hmm. How do you apply? And then let's get into what the training's like. Right. Well, I guess it's, 
one of the biggest things to, to understand is that there's so many different types of departments uh, throughout Canada and the prerequisites, prerequisites um, they vary from province to province, um, community to community, county to county. So we have volunteer departments that are pure volunteer. We have volunteer paid on call departments where the uh, volunteer firefighters are, are paid um, when they're actually at an event. Um, and then they usually have a paid chief, a, a deputy chief, and maybe some other administrative people that are paid um, with a sal an annual salary. And then you have your professional fire services. So, and then within professional fire services, you also have integrated services. So for instance, my department, Edmonton, is solely fire. We have some medical training, but a community like um, St. Albert has an integrated service. So they also man the, the ambulances in their community. So those are things to keep in mind whenever you're looking to apply for to a fire service. So you, I don't know if you need to be a paramedic to get onto an integrated service or at least an EMT, but uh, a department like, a, like Edmonton, you don't need to be a paramedic or an EMT, but they do have a minimum, minimum level of medical training that you have to acquire. And those things can change from year to year with the recruitment process. What was your favorite part of training? There's so many things that are, I mean, like I'm, I'm a hands-on guy. So I like working with tools. Uh, you know, I like learning all the time. So I love learning about the medical, uh, medical component of our job. I, you know, there's nothing better than getting on a, on a hose and getting to do live fire evolutions. Um, but you know, there's also the camaraderie you build with those, your, your troop mates. That's, that's pretty awesome as well. So, I mean, I, I spent some time in the military previous to my, pre, uh, to my, you know, career with the fire service so you know it's reminiscent of that too you know basic training and, and doing your your you know your ql trainings and stuff like that so i enjoy i enjoy training period so do they um when you're going through training to be a firefighter are they they covering everything like how is the driving side of things do they they run you through a course when you're driving the the truck yeah well i guess another thing to understand is there's um basically your firefighting Education's uh, covered by NFPA, National Fire Protection Association. Um, and so you, you develop these uh, courses over time. Your 1001s are your, basically your, your ticket or your diploma to fight fire as a structural firefighter. And then you start getting different courses for driving and apparatus operation. Um, there's different types of apparatus operation. There's different courses that allow you to become a trainer um, to teach NFPA courses. So it's all career progression. And again, depending on the community that you're in, uh, they'll have different, uh, I guess, different portfolios or different job titles or job descriptions within the service. Um, Canadian services tend to have well-rounded firefighters that don't just, don't just drive or don't just go on a nozzle. Uh, whereas you get into United States and a lot of those firefighters will spend a career or a, a large portion of their career just driving or just on the nozzle. And it's almost like uh, to become an engineer or an operator is kind of uh, a complete change or a complete um, uh, promotion or something, I guess you could call it. Whereas in my service and most of the services in, in, in Canada, yeah, the professional services, you can spend uh, a short period of time, like a block of shifts as a driver, and then a block of shifts as a uh, firefighter and medical attendants. So, yeah. How how did you find the theory side 
play, you don't go in cold um, to with no knowledge typically. So again, I'm going to refer to Edmonton because that's what I'm familiar with. You know, I had to have uh, at the time was EMR, Emergency Medical Responder, that was governed by the Alberta College of Paramedics. That's since changed. It's uh, now a different uh, um, medical background training that you have to have. So you go in and you've you've done this course, and so you have a, a, a basic knowledge of anatomy and pharmacology and you know just your your, your best practices. And you come in and then you're trained to the Edmonton standards. Um, and again, that's going to change community to community. So, um, but again, uh, Edmonton, we, they, they actually provided us with our NFPA 1001s. Uh, they have their own training college, which is not very common, I don't believe, throughout Canada. So a lot of um, departments will require you to go to a, a fire college like Vermilion or, or something like that. I think Hinton's also got a college now. So you can go to these places, get your firefighter 1001s because the community doesn't have the ability to train uh, their firefighters and certify their firefighters. So with Edmonton, we had a background, but then we were also provided a lot of training. And how long is the training? And then let's talk about once you graduate, entering being a firefighter. Yeah, again, um, I'm not sure the duration of the fire colleges. All well, these are programs that vary in length, uh, depending on um, the, the, the length of the days and stuff like that. You could also get your 1001s by going through a volunteer department and doing almost like a, a distance learning or uh, spending some time with uh, in training with the classes and stuff like that or the department to acquire your 1001s. Uh, in Edmonton, it took, uh, I think, once you've done all your prerequisites, so you're you're a few weeks and doing your medical training at the very least, uh, you're then required to go do driving tests and driving exams. Um, then you're training with Edmonton's a few months to get your 1001s of uh, full-time training. I think it's two months before you hit the floor as a, as a probational firefighter. And then there's continuous on the job training and continuous development. Um, for instance, you don't start driving an apparatus until minimum two years. And then there's again, several day training program on just the driving and then several days on the pump panel operations. So the operations on the, uh, the engineering side of things again. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you there. You talked about your continuing to learn throughout mm-hmm. your career as a firefighter. Do you Absolutely. specialize into different roles as a firefighter? You can. Yeah. Okay. You can. Um, within Edmonton and most large municipalities, they'll have, um, Branch that deal with hazmat training, um, technical rescue, so that's your ropes rescues, high angle, uh, specialized water rescue. Um, you'll have investigations, prevention. Uh, those are the kind of the main specialties within that can exist within a department. So you can and and have you specialized in any of these as well? Yeah, I specialized in uh, investigations, so I received my level A safety codes officer training. And again, that's continuous training. You're learning about uh, arc mapping or accelerants. And there's a lot of different aspects of uh, of the investigation process that you just continually learn and new, uh, new information, new sciences, become, you know, new theory becomes available. So you're always learning new, new things in that branch, just as you would in, in the hazmat training or the technical rescue, new equipment comes available or um, new ideas. 
when you're not on an emergency call, what are you guys doing when you're not actually on at a car accident scene or a, a fire? Contrary to popular belief, we're not just sleeping or working out. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're constantly training. Um, well, for instance, right now we're doing uh, mental health training. Um, right now, I, like, I was just doing that last night. Uh, but we're, we have a lot of, lot of training that we're constantly, like, we're always upgrading or maintaining our, our proficiencies with um, CPR or new practices in trauma rescue. Uh, just uh, within the last few years, uh, we rolled out a new deadly bleed program to help control, you know, deadly bleeds, right? So the use of tourniquets and hemostatic gauzes and stuff like that that have become available to us and added to our scope. So we're constantly, constantly learning new techniques on things. Is there a friendly rivalry with police officers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there, there's a, you know, I would call it a sibling rivalry, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Definitely there is. Can you talk about some of the experiences you've had with with uh, police? It, it's, it's really healthy. You know, the police and EMS, um, there's a mutual respect, but there's also, uh, uh, how, how do you want to? But there's a lot of chirping going on between the, the three services. I think we're the, uh, how do you say? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's it's fun. Let's put it that way. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> my, my brother-in-law is a, a police officer, so I've, I've heard his side of things. It sounds like it can get quite heated in corporate challenge when you guys yeah. are competing in sports against them. Yeah, it can. Yeah, it definitely can. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So obviously if you're a firefighter, it's, it's kind of like a family situation. Are you assigned to a fire station and yeah. that becomes your family? You're, you guys are living there when you're on call? Uh, yeah. Um, and again, municipalities or CUNYs, the U S has very differing, um, situations, but yeah, we have, uh, what, 30 stations in Edmonton. Uh, you usually there anywhere between two and five years at a, at a fire hall on, you know, but as uh, attrition or as people retire, as people are promoted, there is a constant reshuffling of your, of your staff. So you can get transferred to a different hall um, based on the operational needs of the department. Right. So um, but yeah, you're, you're typically at a hall for a few years and uh, yeah, you develop, you know, close bonds with the guys you work with and you do live within that hall and, you have responsibilities that each, you know, you rely on each one of uh, your, your, uh, your crew to, to help you with. And yeah, definitely. How, how do you find the shift work? And can you tell us what your schedule is like? Yeah. As a young guy, it was fine. As I get older, I find it just certain, you know, you don't bounce back from uh, rough nights as easy as you do when you're in your, your, your thirties or your twenties. But um, we in Edmonton, Again, it's uh, our, our schedule. Calgary's is different, for instance. But we work uh, two 10-hour days. Then we work two 14-hour nights. We get two days off. And then we go back to two 10-hour days, two 14-hour nights. And then we get six off. So it's a little – it equates to more than a 40-hour work week. Yeah, I, I could imagine if you have a family, that, that could get a little tricky. Pros and cons. You know, I, I'm afforded a lot of time with my family. So, uh, yeah, you can end up with, uh, you know, missing some – you know, family events or special holidays or, but I also get a, I'm afforded a lot of time to spend with them. So 
What, what do you like best about being a firefighter? Uh, community involvement, community service. I, I, the community service has always been something that I've always enjoyed. Um, that's why I went into the military. That's why I've focused a lot on volunteer work. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely the community service and then also some of those other inducements. I mean, it's a very secure job. Um, the pension is something that you can't deny being a, an inducement that, you, you know, that, that attracts people but also the, the time I get with my family. So it's, for me, it's a, it's a great occupation. The great balance of your professional life, your personal life. And then, you know, we're not, we're not gonna be rich off firefighting, but we we're rich in other ways. Is there anything that you wish you knew before you joined the fire department? I, and you know what? The only thing I wish is I would have done it sooner. I wish I would have just, I wish I would have done it sooner in my, in my life. That's, that's really, the only thing I wish about my career. And do you have any advice that you could give to somebody uh, that is just applying to, to go through the process? Yeah. You know, like every community is different. Uh, you know, you got to make the decision of, you know, are you willing to relocate? Are you, do you want to be a paramedic and work in an integrated department? Do you, are you happy being a volunteer firefighter that's paid on call so you can pursue your, your trade or your, your degree or something like that, or your, your, your profession in another area. Cause again, that's equally just as fulfilling in, in a lot of ways as professional firefighting. Um, but I guess the biggest piece of advice would be go to your community's website and find out what the prerequisites are, because those are going to differ. Um, go to that website, find out what, what you need to do. And usually it's spelled out very, very clear. And the other thing is start knocking on the doors of the fire halls. Those are the, those are the best guys to give you the, uh, the advice on, you know, what the climate's like within the department right now. And, you know, what the recruitment process is, you know, you might get lucky and, and meet a guy that's the rookie of the hall and he can tell you exactly what's going on with the current process. And you'll get the most, you'll get the, the most honest answers from, from the fire hall. And I've never heard of a fire hall turn anyone away that wants to be a firefighter that wants to get some answers and get some advice. Kevin, you get a lot of calls and you get, as a firefighter, you see a lot of traumatic things. Can you talk about some of your experiences around that and what kind of support do firefighters have in dealing with some of the things that you've seen? That's a great question. Um, that's a common question. People always want to know what's the grossest call, the goriest call or the, the sickest call you ever saw. And some people got to realize that when they ask that question, you're asking them, um, you're asking a first responder. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, you're asking us first responder. You live some some traumatic times for them too, right? To, um, they can be um, pulling victims from houses. They can be uh, attending bad car crashes. They can be, um, you know. So w when people ask those questions, they got to realize what they're they're asking of, of a of a soldier, of a police officer, of a firefighter, of a medic. Um, and a lot of things, reliving those, those traumatic events are what uh, contribute uh, to PTSD. Um, uh, I've been to some, some stuff that no one should see. I mean, I think, I don't think that's, uh, that can be said of any person who's got any length of a, of a career, right? Um, and it doesn't take long. Um, I've been to suicides. I've been to, uh, like I said, uh, drunk driving accidents that should never have happened. And, uh, you know, when you arrive on those scenes, you just, you're, you're trained to deal with it. So you just do it. And, um, the debriefing 
and the um, uh, the posts. Uh, I guess you know they, they do have resources, but it's all new. Um, a lot of stuff didn't exist even when I got on the job just over a decade ago, um, and it was even less. You know, for a lot of the retired captains and stuff. And um, thankfully, though, uh, our city has been very, very um, proactive in developing new new programs to deal with PTSD. Like I said, I'm I'm in the middle of a um, before occupational stress boss training right now, and they're constantly looking for new resources to help people deal with PTSD, with um, the addictions that can come from trying to deal with PTSD. They're they're trying to help us deal with uh, coping measures and finding, you know, creating peer support teams. Um, they're, they're doing a great job, in my opinion, of of developing these things now. Or, you know, they didn't exist a short time ago. And the recognition of of what those uh, those stressors can can place upon emergency responders is is tremendous. I think as a society as a whole is is taking mental health more serious mm-hmm. now. Anyway, we live in an age because I'm sure that in your industry, there's some old school firefighters that would just say, tough it out. Yeah. And you know what? Most, most of them are gone. And you know what? Most of them in, in, in those old guys, and then they, they bought into the training. They realized it too. And, um, you know, it wasn't tough to get buy-in. That's for sure. When people saw what it was doing to help out, it, it, it was pretty, pretty huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, the resources are definitely welcomed and it's helped break down those stigmas or those stereotypes of people that might be dealing with something, you know, and recognizing those things before they become a huge issue. You know, having a peer support team and having people recognize those things and, you know, being able to to reach out to find, being able to reach out and actually knowing where to find the support is, uh, is pretty huge, pretty huge. Traditionally, firefighting was male dominated how how has it been evolving um well structural firefighting yeah you'd be right uh, correct in, in that uh that statement in previous years uh yeah firefighting was a male dominated industry but there's been a lot of a lot of work there's been a lot of fantastic female firefighters that came before me i've been able to work under uh chiefs that were female captains that were female and they were amazing and we have a number of new recruits and junior firefighters and all through the ranks that are female we actually have quite a few on our on in our department it's changing there are definitely more more females that are looking at firefighting as a career and i think if you ask them they would tell you that it's uh it's been just as great for for them as it is for us there's opportunity there. There is, um, they're not, I don't, they're not judged because they're female. They're, you know, you'll get judged in the fire department, but it's on your work ethic and your, uh, your team, team skills, right? Not because of your gender or your race or your religious beliefs or your anything like that, your sexual orientation. Um, the fire, fire department is very welcoming. The fire community, it's, it's, uh, it's a brother and a sisterhood and you know, it, it is definitely changing. Let's talk about the lighter side. Some of the more comical calls that you've, you've been to, can yeah. you share any of those stories? Yeah, I've been to plenty of cats in the trees and 
I've never seen a cat skeleton. I'm probably sure you, none of your viewers or listeners have, have ever seen a cat skeleton. There have been a few of those. Um, when, I, when I was a rookie, actually, I went up into a tree to get a cat, scratch me, and then jumped to the tree and fell down and ran off. And all these people were watching. Thank God there was no cell phone because it was like, <laughs> like a, a great save, right? Um, you know, I've been to ducks on the pond. People wanted us to come save some ducks that were on a pond because they were worried the water was going to freeze. Oh man, I was just a few blocks ago, had to crawl in through a second floor window because there was uh, two people were doing uh, a webcam type uh, interaction and one of them fell getting out of their clothes and ended up <laughs> being knocked out. So that was interesting when you come face to face with someone that was yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, fun calls too that you just giggle about afterwards. And, yeah. So there's some nudity involved in your industry. There can be. There can be. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you guys have a fire pole in your fire hall still? Not in our hall. There's actually one station one station ten still have them, but like, I don't know. It's OH and S or something doesn't want to slide down a pole and twist in an ankle, so. We're all hoping for slides with a you know ball pit at the bottom of it or something like that. <laughs> okay, enough enough with that. Um, you have some humanitarian work that you do. Could you talk to us and plug yeah. that? Tell us yeah. all about what you're doing. Yeah, so like it was ten years about ten years ago. I was lucky enough to be selected um, to be a member of a group study exchange to Ukraine. Um, There's a rotary, rotary group study exchange. And I was selected as a fire contingency because it was focused on emergency services. So I was able to go to Ukraine, tour around the entire country, um, uh, and see what it was like over there. And it, back then, it was like it was archaic. Um, we were talking trucks that were still from the Soviet era, guys with no bunker gear, like buildings were crumbling. Like it was, they were they were in need of help. So when we when I came back to Canada, we were going through a gear swap out. So I went to my chief. And I asked him if I could get some of this gear that they were just going to dispose of. And he just told me to write a business plan, tell me why I should do it. How are you going to do it? So I did. And then we created Firefighter Aid Ukraine. And it just snowballed from there. And we started getting equipment from all over, from different or agencies, different cities, different departments. And um, uh, it quickly turned not just to Ukraine, but into other countries too, because we started finding homes for equipment that Ukraine couldn't use, but it could be used in like Syria, for instance, uh, during their, rebel, their civil war, we were sending some medical supplies there. Uh, we had stuff that wasn't compatible there. So we sent it to like India and Cuba and worked with another organization, uh, sending stuff to Lamont's and the Philippines. And we just, it, you know, it went well. And it was, everything was going to plan into, yeah, everything was, was going well, so we just continued doing it. And then the war broke out in Ukraine, and, uh, and we, we didn't stop. We were, we were still in the middle of doing it, so we shifted gears. We started shipping more equipment over. We shipped over uh, – it's over 200 tons of equipment now to Ukraine, uh, over 109, I think, since the war started. And it's all PPE, medical equipment like X-ray machines and intubators and ultrasound machines and – jaws of life and you name it. We're shipping over anything that's high value rescue equipment or hospital equipment. And uh, yeah, we're still doing that now. And 
it's uh, afforded me a lot of uh, great opportunities to meet people around the world and see a lot of great places and develop some fantastic relationships. So, you know, if any of your uh, listeners want to go to firefighteraidukraine.com, they can learn more about our pro about our program. They can even make a donation there. Um, they can find us on social media on Facebook, Firefighter Ukraine is the the page and they can see what we've done in the past and find out what we're doing in the future can you talk about the the support that you've had for firefighter aid ukraine yeah you know the project initially got greenlit by our, our then chief ken block and i had the support of some deputy chiefs that really played a critical role in that um one of the chiefs moved on to um uh leduc and the other chief moved out to canmore still great contact with them. But, um, you know, we've had great support from Alberta Health Services. We've had great support from City Council. But um, our, you know, our current uh, administration has been tremendously, tremendously supportive, especially in light of what's going on in Ukraine right now. So I can't uh, I can't say enough about the support that I get. And, and from my, uh, my brothers as well, my union. Um, you know, we've proven ourselves and they just continue to, uh, to support us in every way, shape or form that they can. Um, it's pretty great. I guess we'll, we'll kind of conclude on this. Why would you tell somebody to become a firefighter? I would tell someone to become a firefighter if, you know, community service, community involvement, um, is something that they, that they enjoy or that, that means something to them, right? If, uh, becoming rich is don't, don't bother to become a firefighter. But if, you know, you want to be, you know, live a full life, if you want to have a great balance between friends, family, professional, um, your professional life, it's a great thing to explore. You know, there, there's many, it's one part of the emergency services, police, fire, EMS, even the military, they all, they all attract similar people. And we get to see things, uh, we're, we're always using our minds, we're always using our hands, we're always facing new challenges that's, uh, you know, the differ. So, uh, building camaraderie within your, uh, within your crew, it's, it's, it's pretty fulfilling. So if those things appeal to you, then you should explore fire or one of the other stepchildren of the emergency service. Well said, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank you for all the volunteer work that you do, the humanitarian efforts. We really appreciate it. And you're absolutely making a difference in this world. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Job Talk podcast. For more information, please visit us at thejobtalk.com. Our podcast music was created by our friend Mike Malone in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.